Episode 67 of the Coys R Us podcast. And we got the whole crew. Jesse's back. The street's been missing you. Number four on the pod, but number one in some, some streets. <laughs> number one in our hearts. Um, Jesse's here. Kim's here. Ben's here. I am here. And we got a couple of games to talk about because we uh, had a busy week in Tottenham uh, with a midweek win over Brentford, a crazy game, 3-2. And then another random, strange game um, all over the weekend with a 2-2 draw um, away at Everton. So um, a lot to talk about. I guess we can start off with that crazy Brentford game, which looked like it might have been going one way. And uh, (laughs) things just kind of changed around at halftime. Um, went down a goal and then just in quick succession scored three goals in the first, what, 15 minutes of the, of the second half. Um, and then, and then gave away kind of a a cheap one at the end to, to close the game out with a three, two win. Um, and obviously the, the talking point from the Brentford game was the whole back and forth with Neil Mope and doing the darts and then, and then Brennan scores and he does the darts and Richie does the darts. So it was, uh, it was. There was a lot going on there. I really love this game, but I, you know, Jesse, I'm going to give you the mic first since since you haven't been here for a while. I guess just what was your takeaway watching the game, and then also like, did you watch it live? Uh, like, what was the atmosphere when you were watching it? No, I had that one on uh, on on delay, um, so I watched it uh, in the evening. Um, but I think for me, it was one of those where um, I, I'll use a, a Britishism. Um, maybe my favorite besides in it um, is, uh, and I don't swear much and I don't uh, definitely don't do it on tapes. This is a clip. This, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, but um, it felt like uh, what Brentford and specifically Neil Malpai had is like chat shit, get banged. Um, so do the little dart stuff, like have a little cute fun. And then, you know, <laughs> wait for the end halftime talk and then the boys come out and, and then just wreck the bees after that. So um, it was a it was a fun game. It was one that like I felt like you know was was probably closer to even uh, if uh, if I remember correctly at the half. But um, I still felt good at uh, at halftime, even being down one. And and honestly, like that that second half opening fifteen minute ten minute flourish felt a little bit like um, you know obviously the the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL are still in the Super Bowl but like when they were at their like offensive peak a couple of years ago it felt like one of those things where like you'd be like oh hey check it out we're beating this really great attacking team and then all of a sudden they come out of the second half and they score three straight touchdowns and all of a sudden it's 21-14 instead of 14 nothing um is that's how i felt like just like we were just relentless and just cutting them open for um you know back to back to back um and uh and it was really nice to see so yeah i think it was uh it was a i enjoyed it uh i think one of you called it on the last episode maybe joel um ivan tony was going to come back and of course score versus spurs so that prediction um was correct but yeah i think it was nice to nice to see i thought that the like surprisingly um uh you know it, it the, the recently maligned brennan johnson um, coming out at half and then yeah. scoring five minutes later was really, really good to see. Also goes to show you how much, you know, more 
uh, Ange knows than we do on, on, and not just we, but generally fans. Um, and then like uh, Pierre coming on at half and also being impactful. Um, we've seen him be impactful to sub. I think that's the, the role we prefer to him, but like a, a halftime sub was pretty early. Um, but yeah, I mean, all things considered, it was a fun game. I'm happy to get, uh, happy to get three points, but it seemed like it was, uh, um, it was good, especially to see, you know, goals coming from, from three different, uh, people, one a little bit more expected of, of late in, uh, in Richie, um, but destiny and Brennan. And I think, and then I think Timo had that Brennan assist on mm -hmm. that really good ball. Um, and I think, I don't think he got credited with it, but, um, I thought, Madison had this, sort of had an assist. Yeah. So it was like, it was nice to see like a bunch of people get involved in the, uh, in the attack. Well, yeah, I was going to, just to echo that, that first 15 minutes of the second half was a, a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, the rough game for you doggy. <laughs> he did score, but he also, uh, I mean that he said, Tony was going to score, uh, I, you know, that was almost more you doggy on that goal than Tony. But um, it was a nice finish, and 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 you're right. He he had a, a couple. We we really looked kind of open, especially in that first half of of uh, to the counter. Like they were getting in behind us so quickly that even with Van Event sprinting back there, um, they still had you know three four people behind our entire attack so quickly it seemed like. But overall, yeah, it was a it was a pretty fun match, and um, we really buttoned things up in the second half defensively and and looked really sharp offensively, especially like I said for those. 15 minutes. It was also kind of a uh, Timo Werner's welcome back to England game here. Cause he, uh, he, he looked pretty good there and provided us with, you know, something that seemed to give Brentford pause with just that pace on the left. And then you could see that opening up for you doggy too, where he had more space to operate in because they were worried about burner getting in behind. So it was a, uh, so pretty, pretty fun tactical match to watch, especially with, like you said, we don't often see the halftime subs and to see how productive both those subs were was uh was fun yeah i guess what i would say is in the first half i feel like we didn't really have control of the game um it's something that i've noticed um benton seems to be off the pace honestly and he doesn't seem to have what i expect him to and so to me he's been the i mean also with like him and skip just did not have it to me in the first half against Brentford. Um, and I would say similarly, I don't think he had it against um, Everton either. So that's where you hope to see just maybe he's, maybe he's feeling exhausted because he came straight back and went straight into the team and maybe just needs a little bit of rest, but I just don't feel like he's been at his best. And to me, the thing that has been sort of the thing that I've been looking at has been how does the midfield perform? Because I feel like if the midfield can give the rest of the team a platform, um, then we look better. And so I feel like in the second half, what happened was we got control of the game, we got more of the ball, and we then we created the problems. And so I just want to see our midfield start to get a foothold in the game more again. Um, I feel like that's where we've been lacking in general. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, we'll get to Everton, but I feel like that was true of the Everton game almost even more so for the whole game. But yeah, the midfield does seem like we're, we're kind of losing things. Sorry, Joel. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I feel like the halftime subs really changed the game. Um, ironically, there's a lot of questions about the subs in the Everton game, which which I guess we will get to. Um, but it did feel like in that first half, like we were we were struggling to kind of find that 
ex that final pass in the in the final third. Um, and they kind of know at this point. Everybody knows the way Spurs are going to play. Um, Ange is very much a proponent of his own system, and he's not going to change that regardless of who he play. And I think other teams know that. They know that the fullbacks are going to invert. We're going to try to overload in the middle of the pitch. And so when teams try to counter that in different ways, um, it's going to be incumbent on us to to kind of figure out ways around that. I think they were kind of overloading the middle of the pitch, which was creating less uh, passing space. And he basically overcompensated by putting an, an additional attacker in the game uh, with Brennan Johnson coming in for Benton Kerr. Um, and that just opened up the space that we needed to be able to score those goals in quick succession. So like it did feel like a game where we just needed to get to halftime. Um, and I was just like, man, I just hope they don't score again before the half. It didn't feel like a goal was coming in the first half. It did not. Um, and once we got to halftime, it was like everything just changed. And I think those subs had a lot to do with it. Um, before we shift gears to Everton, and obviously we've got to talk about this Mopé character who's obviously just like in 20 minutes, <laughs> in 20 minutes of time, like got our entire fan base to hate him, <laughs> which is kind of impressive. And, you know, he's got a reputation around the Premier League of being a bit of a mug and he's kind of, you know, the shithouse general and he kind of takes pride in it. And he's always got this smug grin on his face. Um, and obviously, you know, you score in the first 15 minutes and you're, rubbing it in completely like it seemed out of nowhere as well because to my knowledge him and it's not like him and madison have any sort of like ongoing feud he just he just did it to be a jerk because he knew he was in our stadium and wanted to kind of screw with our fans um and then even just like throughout the course of the game he was like just doing little things trying to be annoying trying to get people to react trying to get guys to pick up yellow cards he got in a spat with Kulisevsky towards um, the end of the first half, and they both got yellow cards. And that maybe made him calm down a little bit because he didn't want to get sent off. But, um, like, is this, like, an effective thing for him? Like, I'm not really sure. I get what he's trying to do, and I guess maybe if they had won, I would say it worked, but they didn't. Um, and then even, like, I was watching the game earlier today. They played City, and he was doing the same thing, and Kyle Walker was, like, not having it. And they got into a hole back and forth, like in the middle of the game, um, him and Kyle Walker. So it does feel like this is like a thing that he, I guess, takes pride in or he just feels like that's the way to to win mind games. But I don't know. What are you guys opinions on like that tactic? Not on Mope himself. I'm sure I know what you guys are going to say about that. But like, does that even work? Well, I, have to, I have to say for Mope, though, he reminds me of basically like the Joe Kim Noah of the Premier League, where his half his game is winding people up. Um, and then I, I would say that it does work sometimes. But even in this game, you could see it looked like it worked pretty well in the first half. Our players were were kind of losing their heads a little bit. Luckily, nobody lost to the point of getting a red card. I was kind of worried about Romero doing something drastic in that You're, game. You always got to be worried about Romero. <laughs> right? But it uh, to me, it kind of looked like it backfired in the second half. So I would say it was a, a yes and no. I, I, I guess it probably can work sometimes, but I would think it would backfire more than not just because – the only way that you can really have that work for a whole game is if you get the other team like red carded, basically. Yeah. I, otherwise, you, yeah. 
Uh, otherwise, you're firing them up, and as long as they're fired up but in a um, controlled way, it seems like it's just going to motivate the other team to really, you know, put a, a shift in. So, yeah, I mean, it, it takes different things for different people to get motivated, right? Like, um, and sometimes that can come from yourself, sometimes it come from a teammate, from a coach, or whatever. But if if that's what gets them going, and it, yeah, it's gonna. I mean, he's, he's still Brentford, right? It's like it's gonna not work out as much as it is as much as or it'll not work out more than it will work out because of just the Brentford's place in the table and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, if, if, uh, we've talked a bunch in this, on this pod about, you know, the confidence, especially of attackers and how crucial it is. So that's what gets him going. Like good for him. Happy to hope it works from against Arsenal and Liverpool and city and, and, uh, and Villa and everybody else. That's not, uh, that's not Tottenham, but yeah, I got no, no problem with it. It was, like I said, it was, it was fun to see him get his comeuppance quickly in the second half with an onslaught of goals. But, um, if that's what gets him fired up to play, like, you know, go, go for it. All the goal scorers doing his celebration, I think pointed to the fact that it did wind us up and that, uh, Spurs, you know, felt like they were getting their, their revenge with those. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I, I guess to, to Jesse's point, if, if it motivates him, maybe it maybe it's working because he, he's he's scored in, in their last three games, including today against City, uh, which ended up being their only goal. But yeah, um, I don't know it. He seems uh, he seems like a player that probably rates himself more than anybody else does. Um, with that said, like, you know, he's in the Premier League, so obviously he's 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 good enough to be to be in the best league, arguably um, in the world or in Europe. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's he's certainly not a likable player. And I know after watching this game, I'm like definitely rooting for his downfall now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as I could tell, um, he's, he's definitely, he's definitely, um, the ops as far as I'm concerned now. I just want to say, I think he thinks he's better than he is, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, for and, sure. And I guess like he feels like he needs to do this to, like you say, maybe get going or he really just takes pride in getting other people's skin. Like there's some people who just like to be shithousers and that's who he is. It's what it seems like. Like if you just look up Neil Mope shithouse on, on Google, you will find four or five different events and three of them probably happened this year. So <laughs> it's very interesting just to see who decides to do that kind of stuff. But sometimes it does work. Like sometimes you will get someone carded. Yeah. Sometimes you will get someone sent off. So I guess then it's worth it. So but, and I will say, well, like, in, in good teams, you usually do need at least one of those guys. Um, you know, Antonio Rudiger always comes to mind of, like, just one of those guys that just knows how to be annoying and, you know, will do little things to try to get you to react and pick up yellow cards and silly reds. And I, mean, I think I mean, there's no, a way to do it. one of those guys, in a way. That's our version. He's not near. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we had we had too, we had but... Lamella too, who was yeah. uh, was all Lamella time. Lamella will also get himself sent off as just as many times as he got anybody else. Right. Um. So I mean, there there is an art to it. I think you do have to be able to like also back it up. Um. So as long as he's scoring the goals, I guess he can do it. And you know, as a striker, that's kind of how you're going to be evaluated at the end of the day. If he's continues to do this and he's not bagging goals, then it's going to start looking more and more silly and ridiculous. But well, when, you when buy yourself say... a little bit more time with, um, uh, with the fans, not, not necessarily the front office as much, um, and the manager, but right. Like Lamella was brought here to, to create goals. Um, 
didn't ever really do that. And and for a lot of reasons because of health, but we all were like, with Lamella freaking loves the badge Lamella getting, you know, getting yellows and, and, and getting chippy. So it, it buys you some favor with the fans and, and keeps you in their good graces for longer, even when the goals don't come, it's not going to be a, a get it a jail free card if you're not banging in goals, but it does, it does stretch you uh, or give you a little bit more uh, longer leash. I think with the fans, when, when you're that, that Lamella or Charleston, whatever kind of type of person like Mafe's developing into. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Like, I think that, that Richarlison, he had a lot of uh, love from the fan base because of that when he had a rough first season. And I think you're right. It wouldn't have continued this season if he didn't start knocking goals in the way he is now. Yep. Um, and then the one last thing I would say about that is you very rarely see an elite player that's like that, though. Like, I, I can only think, like, yeah. Diego Costa was a wind-up merchant and one of the best strikers in, in the the league for a little while. So I don't think it's a coincidence that you generally don't see really good players using that kind of tactic. I think it's to your point, Jesse, it's kind of a tactic to make sure that they do bring more value because they don't have it on the, on the pitch in the, the traditional sense. But the other one I want to bring up just because this frustrated me more than that actually was, uh, is it Norberg? Their, their midfielder that picked Norberg. up like 17 uncalled yellows. I don't yes. know what the hell was up with that. Ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I feel like a lot of Spurs fans uh, fall into kind of like this woe is us, the league is against us. I mean, I I understand where that comes from, and I know that like Spurs fans have this like underdog mentality that's a part of what we love about rooting for this club. I don't know if I'm that far down the rabbit hole, but I do feel like yeah, there are for every game that we might get away with some stuff, there are definitely a few games where it feels like other teams are, are getting away with stuff against us. I don't know if it's necessarily an agenda against Tottenham, but um, for sure, it did feel like a game where he picked up an early yellow and then the ref just decided, like, I'm not going to send this guy off. And so every other foul that he had that probably warranted a yellow after that the ref would look and see who it was and then not give him a card because he didn't want it to be a 10 v 11 match. And frankly, like you can't referee. A, I mean, you can, he did it anyway, but um, you shouldn't referee a game like that because like, bro, if, if the guy's picking up the cards, then you got to give it to him. Um, and I do feel like refs are super cautious about certain things now because of how much they're scrutinized and, you know, now they got like the VAR stuff and people are going back and getting the VAR audio two weeks after the thing happens. And like everything is being over scrutinized, I think, for referees. It's to the point now where they're almost like scared to do anything, um, which is not a good place for your referees to be in this or any other sport. But it did dev did very much feel like he had made a conscious decision that he wasn't going to give him another yellow card. And then it just turned into kind of a free-for-all. And you could really see that when in the, the foul on Johnson during a, a fast break or, you know, during a counter, um, that was, a, I think, a stonewall yellow card every single time. Because the other things, the other fouls, he could get away with giving him a foul but not actually giving him a yellow card. That's one you, you couldn't even call a foul because he knew that there's no way he could give a foul there without it being an automatic yellow Yep. And I don't know how that wasn't a foul. Even if it was with the shoulder, it was too forceful to say it's just shoulder barging contact. You know, like it was, 
I, I don't know how that one in, in particular went uncalled. But yeah, it makes it <clears throat> it defeats the, the purpose of the idea of, a, of two yellows. If if refs are be, having this much leeway once you're on a first yellow, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing is like, you know, I, I, I don't want to paint the picture of like every ref's the same. Um, I think that is also part of the problem, though, right? Like every ref is so different um, that there isn't a lot of consistency from game to game, um, even with the same refs. Like, even with the same refs, sometimes you'll have a ref that calls a game one way and then, you know, based on whatever, what kind of sleep he got the night before, what he had for breakfast, who knows? Um, I think there's also a lot of extra sensitivity from Spurs this season because it feels like we've gotten a lot of yellows and reds, but other teams employing worse tactics, it seems like, against us have not been getting them. So I'm not even saying, because I think we've, we've been in agreement most of the time where uh, we've received yellow or red cards, they've been called for, like they've been legit reds. But there's been so many times it seems like the other teams are not getting that level of scrutiny or punishment on their fouls. That's why I think, I don't remember feeling like this in past years. You always feel a little aggrieved, like your team's getting the, the more of the raw end of the deals with ref calls. I think that's just the nature of being a fan. But this year in particular seems... It just doesn't make sense. And I, I and like you said, it's it's not the same refs doing it over and over. I don't think there's any kind of conspiracy, but there the lack of consistency is crazy. And we're just on the wrong end of it, it seems like. But it is what it is. I'm glad that our manager doesn't whine about it. it makes it a lot more tolerable for him to kind of set it. Yeah, the way you, he's the way he's react. handled everything and even like the the Neil Mope stuff, he was kind of like, you know. I don't care about that, and I actually want my players to not care. Um, they shouldn't be getting wound up by these antics, and if they want to be tough guys, they should go fight UFC. Like, we're not here to do any of that. So, you know, to his point, once the players kept their heads, we scored goals, and we won the game. Um, we didn't do we didn't score goals in the first half because players weren't keeping their heads. Um and I feel like even not even just what Ange says to the media, but even the way that you hear the players talk about Ange, I feel like there's a consistency in the way that he talks to them, in the way that he addresses his vision and the way that he motivates, where it's like they have to believe it because they believe that he believes. It. You know what I mean? Like it's it's there is a certain conviction in the way that he talks about what he believes and how he believes that they should play football that gets them to buy in. And I also feel like where you see players like, you know, not to be calling him out specifically, but I'm thinking of like a Jed Spence who just has not made it work with Spurs and with many other teams as well. Like, I feel like he's looking at certain players and being like, Oh, is this guy going to be able to fit into the system? Not only football wise, but also mentality wise. Is he going to buy into what I'm preaching? If he's not, then he can go. Like, I only want people here that are going to be bought into what I'm saying. And so now we're kind of seeing that, which we really haven't seen in five years. Like, a coach with a specific style of play where the majority, if not all of the team, is actually bought in. Um, and I don't think we probably haven't seen that since, like, 2018. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it, it does make a big a big difference in terms of team mentality. I mean, this is kind of what we were talking about last year a lot about not having the right culture, the right locker room 
culture. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is the play, like everybody being on the same page, you know, everybody pulling the same direction, everybody going for the same common goal and thinking that the way that we are, can achieve that goal is this specific method that everybody is believing. And I think it's, is huge for, um, especially well, it's, it's huge for the team reaction. And I think it's especially big in soccer because you can't call a timeout when, you know, you're getting your, like in, in, in the NBA, whenever you see a team go on like an eight, 10 nil run, um, you're going to, you know, the coach is going to call a timeout to get everybody's heads back in the game. You only have one opportunity to do that in a, in a premier league game, which is just a halftime. Hopefully you can th turn things around. I think that's why we probably see a whole lot more uh, match of two halves games of two halves where the halves are so different from each other because of that. But also I think, yeah, you need to have, the, the right amount of belief and the right amount of leadership on the field to be able to turn things around. And mm. that's where, again, you could see, we didn't necessarily have that during the first half against Brentford. It seemed like Madison in particular was more wound up than he normally gets. Um, and he, yeah, he I mean, did maybe, not take maybe it was his celebration. <laughs> he did, yeah. He did not take on <laughs> uh, at all. Yeah, but I, I I really do think that having the coaches influence on the players so that they believe in the, the same thing helps them during matches to actually, you know, right the ship and then to to not put their heads down too much when they do make a mistake. All the things that Ange has talked about, you know, to be honest. And you know what? I think that's also a shout out to our recruitment as well, because I think that's also a big part of it. Right. Like it's not just about getting players to buy in. It's also about getting players who are already bought in right like making sure that that buying is there before you spend the money um so that when you're going and you're recruiting players or you're thinking about guys to bring in that you're like making sure if they're not on board then like even though they have the talent actually that's not the right player that's not the right fit and i think obviously us winning games probably has a lot to do with it um, if the results weren't there, maybe we would hear guys speaking differently, but it does feel very much at the moment that guys, whether they're older players like your sonnies um, or newer players like Brennan Johnson or Timo Werner, like the way that they're talking about being at the club, the way that they're talking about the system um, is very much seems like everybody's on board um, and that they're bought into what the project is like they all see where they fit into it as well um and that's going to be important and we've seen the benefit of that when we had so many absences from injury and suspension and we were still able to pick up points and kind of keep afloat during that time I don't think that happens if you don't have a bench of players that's still bought into the system and bought into kind of what the manager is trying to do and I just I want to Quickly uh, touch on that. And you can also see that with like the players that were deciding, like you said, deciding to bring in. So like we've had players that have chosen us over other offers. They had definite offers on the table and said, I'm going to choose Tottenham instead. And that's not something that would have even happened to us last year. If Bayern or um, Barcelona in, in the um, Bergvall, and I can't remember. Yeah. in the Bergvall case, if Barcelona and Bayern were in for anyone last year, and Tottenham was the next choice, everyone would go the other way. It, there wouldn't even be a, a, a thought about it. Now, depending on who you are, where you are in your career, you might look at Tottenham as the place to take your next step um, and maybe stay there for a while, but 
you see where you can, as a young player, take your next step. And so I feel like, and I think I and said this, he's trying to become, or Spurs are trying to become a destination for young players, players who have talent, but may not have had the opportunity and can come and get the opportunity as Spurs to then help us be better. So I think we're going to start seeing just better talents come in. They might be younger, but we I think we're probably going to start. I think that's what they're really trying to do is start to get in younger, good talents um, so that we can just improve across the board. And it probably doesn't hurt that Barcelona is a hot mess right now. So that definitely helps us. <laughs> I wouldn't even thought this year that you'd have people uh, or players picking Barcelona over Spurs. No, I mean, obviously Spurs, but that place yeah. is, that that place is, is a, yeah, it's a hot mess. Um, this is the Khoisar Us podcast. Hopefully this is not your first time listening, but if it is welcome, um, if it's not welcome back. Uh, we can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Coizaras Podcast. If you're listening on any of the streaming services that you are listening on, please um, continue to subscribe if you haven't already. Um, rate and uh, leave us a comment and let us know how you have been enjoying listening to our pod. We also had another game, which <laughs> we we spent we spent most of our time, unsurprisingly, talking about the game that we won. Uh, this Everton game was interesting because it, it did feel like another game where we'd probably get three goals and it felt like we probably should have gotten three goals, especially after coming out of the gate uh, right away with Richie having a first half brace. Um, we went into halftime with a 2-1 lead after a bungled corner kick, which was pretty reminiscent of the goal that we conceded to Man City uh, a week prior. And then in the second half, um, we just could not pick the lock. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not even really sure what to make of that second half other than the fact that it, it did feel like a game that we needed a third goal. Uh, we should have gotten a third goal, and we simply didn't, and it came back to bite us in the 94th minute. Uh, Everton scores on a set piece, surprise, surprise, and ties the game to uh, draw and share the points. So there's a lot of places to go with this game um kim i'm gonna start with you and uh specifically talking about our corner pick defending uh because it does feel like now particularly after the city game but then we saw it a little bit against brentford and then definitely against everton um that teams are going to basically crowd the box and try to bully vic um and basically in the last three games, it worked twice. So what are you seeing on these plays and, and, and what can Spurs do differently to avoid it? So, you know, I'll say that this is not just something that I've seen in Spurs games. I've seen other games where people put someone on the goalkeeper. It might not have turned into a goal, but it's a tactic. Put someone on the goalkeeper, make it hard for them to move around the, in the box so they may not get to a ball when it comes in. It's a good tactic. It works. The way you can counteract that is just putting a player in between that player and the goalkeeper. So you have someone that you dedicate to just protecting Vicario. Because if that's a if that's a weakness for him, if corners are going to be a weakness, you do something to mitigate that weakness. So what I think we need to do is just get somebody to stand in between Vicario just to prevent, you know, someone just bundling straight into Vicario because if you if you then push a player into Vicario 
then they're definitely going to call a foul. So if someone's standing in between them and then the defender or the offensive player is pushing a defender into our goalkeeper, it's definitely going to be a foul. Um, standing under him, preventing him from catching the ball or preventing him from getting to it, maybe, maybe not. So to me, that's the tactic. Like, just put someone there. Um, but Vakari also just has to be a little stronger, honestly. Just to work on that. Um, yeah. It's like, and, and like the second one, he should have just came out for that ball. But he stayed on his line. Like, that's decision-making. That's something you can get better at. But I just think Vakari just has to be a little stronger in these situations. Um, so people have uh, found a weakness and... The one thing the Premier League will do is if they can tap that weakness, they will hit that button and hit that button until it's no longer a weakness or, you know, you figure out a way to counteract it. So counteract it. So I just I really think like that's what we have to do. We do have to start putting a body in between Vicario and um, whoever's trying to mess with them. I mean, it's interesting because we just had match week 23. Um, So, you know, about two thirds of the season is behind us and it feels like this is really just coming up now, you know, for majority of the season up to this point, Vicario has just looked like one of the top two, maybe top three, if I'm being conservative goalies in the entire league. And now it feels like there's this major weakness. I mean, even just watching the game against Everton, they had nine corners in the game. And every time they had a corner, I was like, they might score now. Um, but that's Deitch right there. Like, he's yeah. going to have his team be good at corners. Like, they that's where they score a lot of their goals. I think they have the most corners. I think they scored on the most set pieces this season. So, like, if they were going to score, it was probably going to be on a set piece. Um, every team is not that good at set pieces, honestly. So, it's not going to work for everybody. But I really think it was – I mean, the first game we really saw it in was Pep. Pep probably – he's smart. That's why he – has won as many titles as he have in a variety of different places. He's a really, really good manager. He probably found, like he said, that's a weakness. Let's work on that. Let's see if that works. Let's see if we can do something there. And it happened to work. So other people are just going to start copying it. The thing that I don't get about it is it's not like this is a new tactic. It's like something changed and maybe not even this year, but partway through this year where all of a sudden they're like, ah, if it's minor contact on the goalie, we're just going to let it go. I just feel like for as long as I've been watching the sport, it seems like if you even were to breathe on the keeper too hard, they're going to call a foul. Like the the keeper always gets the benefit of the doubt until just this year. And I actually, I probably am in favor of that, that change in the, if it's not a rule change, a way that they're applying the rule. Um, Cause I, I always thought it was kind of light. uh, A lot of the fouls that they they got called against, uh, you know, for the goalies, benefit were really kind of like weak soft fouls so I think overall it's probably a good thing but it is frustrating that all of a sudden there's this new element to the game that I don't remember this ever being communicated maybe it was uh, like does anybody remember them saying that we're going to start basically calling fewer fouls against the keepers no I I think you definitely can't communicate that because then it would really be a free-for-all I I think it was just gotta like I mean if if we know that guys like I mean, Romero specifically just loves getting cards. Like, get get one that means something, that can have an impact. Like, next time somebody gets in Vicario, get, do something that is card-worthy instead of just, like, some random pointless stuff or, you know, Basaka or somebody else, uh, not Basaka, um, Basuma, when they come back, like, 
like you need a, you know, I feel like Eric Dyer wouldn't have, have for uh, RIP, um, our Portuguese, German, <laughs> English prince, like he wouldn't have let that stuff slide. I feel like he would have gotten in, in somebody's face and we just need, not that we're not tough, but it's like, okay, this is very clearly a thing. I'm sure they're working on practice. Like you got to just like, and, and every manager in the leagues, I'm like, yeah, get in, get in Vicario's personal space and see what happens until they call it. Cause like, if it's, they, it's like, they're all just standing there watching him get shoved. And right. It's like, if they bro, do, go help him. <laughs> if they don't call anything, you might get a goal. If they do call it, oh no, you might get the, the you you lose a, a corner kick opportunity, not the end of the world. I do feel like yeah. they adjusted a bit after halftime, but obviously that was already after a goal had been given up. And I and I am a little befuddled by the fact that it even came up again in this game at all because that's literally what got us knocked out of the FA Cup. So I don't know why it took another conversation at halftime for them to finally start protecting their keeper, but uh, they did not seem to be doing it at all in the first half against Everton. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and it was, it was a bit of a shame because <clears throat> those were probably Richie's two best goals as a uh, Spurs player. Second one, at least I, I'm trying to think of, he's had a lot of kind of scrappy goals, a lot of headed goals, obviously that second one made me think maybe this dude could actually stick at the nine. If he actually can, can start hitting that shot semi consistently, I mean, that's that Sun Kulisewski type shot that we haven't seen enough from Kulu this year or last year, to be fair. Um, but Richarlison, I, I can't remember now if it was that same game because he had a similar shot that was like just missed the goal. I can't remember now if it was Everton or Brentford. But if he's putting in curlers from the edge of the box or outside the box and add that to his industry pressing and his his set like his heading set piece, like he could be pretty – that's a pretty well-rounded striker if he could bring that to his game. Um but yeah, it was a weird game because while we kind of looked like we were on the front foot, it felt like Everton were controlling the game. Like we had the majority of the possession. It's not like they were countering us, but it felt like every time they had the ball, they were getting dangerous. They were getting set pieces left and right. And we just didn't really put that much. I mean, what was our expected goals in that game? Like 0. 0.5 or something? There was it just 0.98. No, was it 9.8? I just don't remember seeing almost anything from anybody except for Richarlison. So I... I I was a little baffled by that game. It was, it was kind of a weird game to watch. Like, I, I couldn't really explain what was going on. I think, like I said earlier, that it was mostly in the midfield that we seemed to not have the ability to, like, do much with the ball except kick it around sideways and then try to get one of our forwards in behind. Like, we just didn't have any other, you know, it didn't seem like we had any other answers. And it's not like they were playing, yeah. like, a, a complete low block. Yeah, curious what you have to say, Kim. You're the, usually the... The best tactics uh observe, observe. i just think we gave the ball away a lot uh, yeah I... <laughs> it was sloppy it was really sloppy. Was sloppy every time they put up the graphic it was like spurs have 54 percent, and it was just like of nothing though like of, of not in much danger it just felt like every like we'd string i use the word string loosely we'd have two passes together and then we'd have one that that gets that gets intercepted i don't know obviously like you know track turnovers as much in in uh in soccer as you do in uh, in basketball or football, but it, it just felt like an insane amount of careless uh, turnovers. Our pass, our pass uh, um, percentage of, of accurate passes was 78, which I feel like is well below normal. Aren't we normally yeah. like 80s and maybe yeah, even I think 90s? that was like the worst on the season, honestly. 78 um, is not good. And, and we just had like, fewer we, passes because we weren't we straight things together, I guess. Yeah, we just could not. There were multiple moments where I was just like, so that's the pass you decided to make. 
Was um, that something, was that an, an us thing or was that something Everton was doing to us? That was I mean, my I question. Was, I think it was a combination of us just not being up to the task and Everton having the industry in midfield to, to cause problems. Well, to be fair, this is by far the shortest turnaround we've had of any games. I, well, actually, I could be wrong about during the holiday season, but we're just we're not used to having midweek games. And then to have a, a, was it a Wednesday game and then a 630, 1230, you know, British time uh, game like to have the first game of the Saturday after having a Wednesday game seems a little uh, a little tough. And I think Everton had an extra day too, right? Didn't they play Tuesday, Saturday? I think you have to take it into account. Yeah, I'm a little not bit. sure. Could have I been mean, looking leggy. It's tricky because you're, at least I was looking to expect a little bit more from a midfield that has Madison and Bentinker. Um, and, and, you know, I think maybe this is my own bias, but when I'm watching this game, especially in the first half, it felt like. Madison with the ball at his feet just gives me so much confidence. <laughs> like, I feel like he's a player that knows his own um, ability, knows how to find different pockets, knows how to wriggle out of danger, um, play the pass when he needs to play it. Um, and usually when, especially with what we've saw from, from him in the beginning of the season, um, it just created so much more freedom for everybody else to know that like he had the ball, he was going to find the pass. If I get open, he'll find me and I'm not worried about him losing it. Um, and Benteker was kind of that type of player before we got Madison. If we think about, you know, some of the games that he had um, under Conte and he seems to, you know, to Kim's point earlier, like he's not really on the pace that he once was. Um, and then I think, after it seemed like we needed to put a foothold on the game, we really needed a third goal to kill the game. And we probably, if we didn't get the third goal, at the very least needed to just hold on to possession. Um, right when you think we're going to maybe set, set up shop and, and try to shore things up, he takes out Madison. He takes out Hoybier. And he brings in Ryan Hill. Um, it it was uh, a very baffling decision at the 86th minute to make that choice when, you know, we just talked about the game prior where it's like, oh, you made these halftime subs that turned the game around and it was like a masterstroke. This felt very much like the opposite of that. Um, is there, I mean, it, maybe this is just a bad mistake, but... I think for me, I didn't even understand what he was trying to do because, you know, I think you could be of two minds of it. Like I was watching like the NBC coverage here in the States and Rebecca Lowe was talking about Ange Ball and she kind of made the point of like, yeah, the system's great. It works. But sometimes you just need to like set up shop and carry out a win. And like you're up to one with five minutes left. You don't need a third goal. You just need to control the ball. And I wonder if that was even a part of his thinking because you're taking out a lot of the players in your midfield who are the best at controlling the ball. You're putting in players that aren't good at controlling the ball. And I just don't know like what the end goal was. Like, I don't know if he was just thinking like, forget about maintaining control and let's just try to score. I mean, I don't know. 
I I'm hoping that it was just because we have both Madison and Ben Kerr are recently returning from injury. Or wait, it was Madison and Ben Kerr was the other the other one that was subbed off, right? He um so he took out Werner and Madison cool. in the eighty sixth minute for Hill and Skip. And then he took out Hoybier in the 89th minute and brought on Dragushin, which was also kind of strange. That that one had... seems to be a sub that he likes. Cause I think he's done that like three times now. And that one that like Dragushin, that was not a super inspiring or confidence filling uh, little little cameo there. Actually, he, he get there were a couple challenges that were, I don't know, we get they're not like they're reds all the time or anything like that. It was sorry penalties. They were a penalty and a, and a free kick that could have been given. That they would have been soft, but I've seen them give them for sure. Um, but uh, I'm hoping well, that I, and I think recently... that leave, that stems from the not having the control because if we were able to yeah. control the ball, that that yeah. we would have never. It's not going to be position. in our goal box the whole time. I, I agree 100. But no, so um, I'm hoping those subs are. I guess he need like not tactical, but it's because he, he has players that he needs to get minutes off their legs at a second game in the week that he's worried about Madison playing too many minutes. But I, I, I think this is the first time that I feel like the uh, at large, the fan base disagreed with something that Ange has done. I feel like this is one of the first times I've heard him get kind of publicly uh, oh, pe- the care about talk call. about as much. <laughs> oh, the full one. That. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, um, that was pretty bad too. But yeah, this one seems to be like almost universally everybody's like, what were those subs? I don't get them. The first two, especially, and even the Dragushin one's a little weird, but the first two, like they seemed almost like subs for the sake of making substitutions. Was there nobody else on the bench? I don't think there was. Like I could see it like in the 97th or something. Like if it's one of those, like, hey, we're literally just subbing in bodies to, to take 40 seconds off when there's probably a minute and a half left. And I know they're not going to add a full another minute onto it. Like, but with, with that much time left or again, or if it was a, you know, a, Hey, let's give a guy some, some fresh run. We're up two or three goals here, but just bonkers, bonkers stuff. And I think even not only the subs themselves, which is totally on Ange, but I think the way that we were playing at the end of the game was also uh, an indictment on the players on the pitch. I mean, the goal that we gave up, is Kulisevsky trying to dribble out of trouble where he probably could have just hoofed the ball. Obviously, that's not something that we seem to ever do, um, regardless of time, regardless of context. He gives the ball away, and then instead of collapsing into a defensive formation, tries to win the ball back, gives up a foul that leads to a free kick. Um, And especially when you're playing a team that, number one, is down a goal, and number two is really only going to ever score against you on a set piece. That foul just seemed completely just thoughtless. Like, just what are you thinking on that play? I don't know if it's just a lazy play because you're tired or what the case is, but just like... That's a Kulisevsky staple, though. It doesn't happen that often close to our box, but Kulisevsky gives up the ball. Look what he does next. Most of the time, he's fouling the player. Mm-hmm. He does That's that true. a lot. That is true. He does it a lot. So it's it 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 just happened to be on our box. But that's something that I just think Kulusevsky needs to cut out. Like he needs to when you give up the ball, work to get it back, but don't just push people over. He does that a lot, and I get annoyed. I've gotten annoyed about it throughout this season because it's always it's usually in situations where we're on the attack, and I'm like, you're instead of just allowing us to get set again and then potentially win the ball back just by pressing, 
you've made it so that they can have a free kick and they can just hoof the ball down the field. So it's one of those things where I just feel like he needs to be smarter about the decisions he makes. Yes, indeed. Um, well, four points out of those two games, it, it could have been worse. And we move on to next Saturday playing back at home against Brighton and Hove Albion, who is now eighth in the Premier League. Um, they're coming off a 4-1 win against Crystal Palace, uh, which comes right after they had previously gotten thumped 4-0 <laughs> against Luton Town. So if that's uh, indicative of, of their form this season, it's been very up and down. Um, they are on nine wins, eight draws, and six losses, which puts them, uh, you know, pretty much in the middle of the pack with, uh, you know, Wolverhampton and, and West Ham and Newcastle. So they're kind of right in the upper portion of the middle of the table. Um, Brighton seems to have taken a bit of a step back from last year where they were kind of like this amazing story of, you know, Graham Potter left, but they're still flying and they got into, what are they in Europa league this year? Or uh, they're in the conference league. One of the two, um, they seem to, you know, like I said, have kind of fallen back to the norm a bit this year. Um, and maybe some of that has to do with some of the players that they lost, such as uh, McAllister, who, who went on to Liverpool. So with that said... Um, they also lost Caicedo to Chelsea. That's right. That's right. And he's been so hurt like, so much. That I was their midfield. So you, you, you replace your midfield and it doesn't work out. It can really be a problem. So, um, yeah, they are in the Europa League, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, this is, uh, like, again, not the same team that we saw a year ago, but um, Deserby's still a good coach. He's a good tactician. Um, they're going to come in with a game plan. They're definitely going to fight for it. I don't anticipate it being an easy game, um, but luckily for us, this is a game that will be at home. Um, and looking at our... Head-to-head, -head, we actually lost to them away uh, during the festive fixtures time. This was December 28th, three days after Christmas. Um, that's that game where we just did not show up at all. We lost 4-2. Uh, we were down four goals um, and, and scored two in the last 10 minutes to kind of make the score a bit respectable. So we definitely owe them some smoke um, and, and need to kind of hit them back uh, after that embarrassing loss at Amex. So we got the full crew back today so we could get a, a nice full set of, of predictions for Brighton at home. All right. Three, one. First. Oh, well, never mind. I'll go. Sorry. Not first. No, it's okay. Go ahead. That's it. I just, uh, I didn't have, I don't have a ton of thoughts, but I've been like on the three, one tip. I feel like on a run and it's been some close things. Uh, I hit the total number of goals correctly, I guess in the last one. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think like we got absolutely pumped by them in uh, in December 20th. I think as you said, Joel, the, the scoreline looked a lot more flattering. It was 4-0 um, when I turned it off and didn't realize that it was uh, it was 4-2 until checking scores and uh, around the league later that day. So um, yeah, not flying quite as high as they as they were last year, but still a tough team. But I think we can get them at home. You missed Aleo Valiz's only Tottenham goal. <laughs> I know difficult times that I saw moment. the highlight, but yeah, it was like, I like, I think like maybe you guys were like, Oh, come back. And on the, on the group chat and I was like an hour later after the game, I was like, didn't even realize we had scored until then. Yeah, no, it, it did look like we were gonna, like, it could have been something. Cause 
we had scored those two goals within like four minutes of each other. And it was like, oh, is this on? And then it didn't work out. But um, I'm like going in between 3-1 and 3-2. Um, and I am going to go 3-2. Because um, I still feel like Vicario might be a problem <laughs> at one point. There might be something that happens that causes them you know one of those goals that we wouldn't let people score before there's they seem to be starting to be able to score now so um and then I also just feel like but I do feel like with SAR and SAR should start I think that should help um I think part of us not controlling games is when teams go on the break they just are able to go on the break and when SAR was in the lineup often teams would try to go on the break and he would he in addition to Vandeven, he was someone who would get back. And I think he's he really, makes... really good. I just think his positioning is really good. So when when Poro goes goes up, he co- he covers the entire like right side. Uh from like the halfway mark down, he can cover that entire side. And he does. He's lanky, he runs fast enough, and he gets back a lot. So I feel like our defense will just have a little more protection. So I probably should go three one, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I have a feeling this is going to be a nervy one. Yeah, no, I, that's what I was just going to say as you brought that up. Is he makes Poro look so much better, like he, defensively, more sound. He lets he allows Poro to get forward more, and then he doesn't put Poro in the situations where he's one on one defensively as frequently. He usually has more help. Um, and then Udagi's kind of the guy that does it from the other side, and obviously Van de Ven is the main sweeper there. But um, yeah, I I was thinking both of the two predictions that you guys guessed, because I feel like there's goals in this game, but I also feel like it's a little lunacy just to pr- predict, you know, like a four, three or something like that. Um, not, but... not in today's premier league. <laughs> it yeah. seems like, nah. it seems like nobody plays defense anymore. They, you might, we might very well get a four, three. <laughs> there is a, there, there are a lot of attacking teams now. It's a lot more open game. Luton town um, is putting up fours. I mean, <laughs> wolves put up four against, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. lose. They put they, they Chelsea's conceded for in their last two matches, which can't say I uh, dislike that at all. But um, yeah, I think I am gonna go. Uh, I think I'll go three one as well. I I just like I said, I see goals in the game. Are are we we're too open to uh, to not concede? I feel like and Brighton obviously take advantage of it even if they are a little lower on the table they're still a pretty good team like they have the same record as us in their last five games um so yeah i'll go three one spurs and hopefully we uh our midfield will just look more stable with sar back in it because we're getting close to having our our assume still not like i can't i I didn't check the time for that i know sun won't be back obviously well yeah so that's what i was actually going to ask him about that because basuma is is now coming back from afcon um, he was playing with Mali. They lost, so now he's returning. Um, he's apparently was battling some sort of case of malaria, but now the reports are saying that he's healthy. So hopefully that's not a concern. But assuming that he is healthy and he's ready to play on Saturday, would you slot him back into the lineup, especially considering that Bentinker's been a little bit off, or would you continue starting uh, Lolo? That's the thing. I... Basuma didn't play that much at AFCON. Um, he definitely no, didn't he play. Didn't. He I don't starting. even think he played in the. I don't even think he. 
played in the last two games. And if he did, he came on pretty late in the in the in the last one. I think he didn't come on the game before that, and he came on pretty late in the last one. Um, so I don't even know if he's like up to the fitness level to slot straight back into the Premier League. Um, so I probably would still start. Um, I probably go, but Sar didn't start last game, so I definitely put him in. And then I'd probably go Madison and um, Bentoncourt. And then if you do need to make a change, an early change, if it's Bentoncourt that's the problem, then you bring on Basuma. Um, so I feel like I'd probably go that way just to make sure that Basuma has the legs. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's what I would do too. Because you don't want to, I don't think you want to run Basuma straight back in, even if he's recovered. If he actually had malaria, <laughs> even if he's recovered, I feel like you don't want a guy that just got over a bout of malaria to have to go run around for 90, you know, seven minutes or whatever. Um, but I think he probably could get some minutes if he does, if he has recovered and he seems in good, you know, in good shape. Um, I think that that makes sense to me, especially because Bentacore has been hit and miss, but it seems like he it basically seems like he's rusty. And those, those a couple of performances earlier were more, more anomalous and he still is rusty, which is completely, I mean, he's barely played in the last year. Um, but Ben Core could we could see him play into shape, and it seems like that's where they're going to be competing for that position now. So I would stick with Benton Core since he's further along, at least right now, we would think. Um, and then yeah, Basuma could come in if Benton Core is struggling at all. because uh, you have to remember that before the AFCON, Basuma wasn't exactly in his sharpest form either. So no, he was I catching that, stupid reds left and right. Right. I think this this really is probably one of the chief positions right now that there's like the most direct competition for that spot between those two. So I, I would, yeah, I, I agree with Kim. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how that competition plays out over the course of the next, what do we have? 15 more games of this season. Um, so yeah. Um, if he doesn't start straight away, um, I think regardless, it'll, it'll be another talking point uh, for the next match against Wolves. I think I'm still yet to make a prediction and I've kind of been putting it off because I'm not really sure where to go with this game. Um, a part of me wants to say 2-2, but I also feel like this is a game that we should win, especially after that four-second half against Everton. Uh, I'm hoping that the boys come out with a little bit more conviction. Um, I still have concerns about our defending. I think that Brighton will come with a game plan that might trip us up a little bit in in at least a portion of the game. So uh, I don't know. I'm going to say three, two, three, two Spurs. Um, we go again on Saturday. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.